Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Last week we um, explored the uh, the first of uh, these uh, two teachings on the Buddha's words on the refinement of mind. <clears throat> In the uh, last week's talk, uh, I shared the from the discourse. These both of these discourses are from the Anguttara Nikaya. Uh, which are the the collection of numerical uh, uh, discourses. And um, the last week was about the purification of mind, that there is, over time, uh, the process of purification is one way to see this um, uh, Dharma journey, this practice, and the analogy was given of a goldsmith um, refining and um, removing impurities from gold. Uh, first the grosser impurities and then the more subtle impurities, the uh, very fine sand and then, uh, then the dross uh, and then uh, smelting it uh, long enough until it becomes uh, just quite pliant, and then the goldsmith can make whatever um, he or she wants to make uh, out of the gold. Uh, And um, I hope people who are here um, uh, could start seeing their practice over a period of time that um, you don't have to be discouraged by seeing how much more there is to go uh, but rather be encouraged by seeing uh, what has happened and the development that's happened uh, as you look back and see, oh, I'm no longer the person who could do those quite as crazy things as I did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, last week might be a different story, but... Uh, I'm moving and facing in the right direction. Um, and to see this as a, in that way as a process of purification, uh, all you need to get a sense of is you're facing in the right direction and learning as much as you can right where you are. Every moment counts, as, uh, as one of my teachers says, as long as you're learning, there's no mistakes. And everything has been part of your development. So that was the, the first of this refinement of mind teaching. And here's the second. <clears throat> Having completed this initial purification, a follower of the way devoted to practice, should from time to time direct attention to three 
qualities of mind. The practitioner should from time to time pay attention to the state of concentration. From time to time, he or she should pay attention to the state of energetic effort. And from time to time, he or she should inquire to the state of equanimity. If one gives direct attention exclusively to concentration, one's mind may fall into indolence. If one directs attention exclusively to energetic effort, one's mind may fall into restlessness. If one directs exclusively attention to equanimity, one's mind will not be well concentrated on overcoming fetters and attachments. But if from time to time the practitioner pays attention to each of these qualities, the practitioner's mind will be pliant, workable, and lucid. Suppose a goldsmith builds a furnace, lights a fire in its opening, takes the gold with a pair of tongs, and puts it into the furnace. From time to time, the goldsmith blows on it. From time to time, the goldsmith sprinkles water on it. From time to time, the goldsmith examines it closely. If the goldsmith were to blow on the gold continuously, it might be heated too much. If the goldsmith continuously sprinkled water on it, it would be cooled. If the goldsmith were only to examine it closely, the gold would not come to perfect refinement. But if, from time to time, the goldsmith attends to each of these three functions, the gold will become pliant, workable, and bright. And it can easily be molded. Whatever ornament the goldsmith wishes to make of it, be it a crown, an earring, a necklace, or a golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, there are those three qualities to which a devoted practitioner should from time to time pay attention to, namely concentration, energetic effort, and equanimity. If one gives regular attention to these, then one's mind will become pliant, workable, lucid, and not unwieldy, and it will be well concentrated upon overcoming all fetters and attachments. Makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. How obvious when you hear the, um, the metaphor of uh, working with gold. One aspect isn't enough. They all need to be present, utilized when it's appropriate, and uh, work together to uh, give you the desired effect. And in the same way with our practice, 
we can easily have some kind of a notion that this is real practice. This is where it's at. And we're missing the bigger picture around practice. I remember um, just coming to mind as I'm, I'm talking about this on one longer retreat. Um, things uh, started to get a bit subtle. And, um, and I, for the first time, I'd never had this experience before. I could feel a thought about to come on. It was very cool. It was my, there was my mind, you know, it was just so balanced like a, you know, uh, Ajahn Chah has that, 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 uh, that image, a still forest pool. And it was just, it was very still and could just feel something bubbling up like a thought about to happen. I got so excited. And I got into the thought, wow, this is real meditation. This is really where it's at. Everything else, oh, that was just kind of kindergarten. you know. And... For the next few days and maybe a week or so, I drove myself crazy trying to do the real meditation. Uh uh. That is not the real meditation. And I, I actually had a uh, you go through cycles in this. I'm just thinking as I'm talking another true confession uh, in, in my practice along the same lines. You can get hooked in thinking, oh, this is really where it's at. Uh, my very first retreat, um, and I was, uh, this is many years ago, I was sitting uh, in, the, in the hall and for the first time, I experienced a meditation where it didn't matter if the bell rang. I didn't, I actually didn't want it to ring. I was, it was so clear. I was breathing in, the universe was breathing out. I was breathing out, the universe was breathing in. We were just in perfect sync and very cool. And I went, to my oh, and then actually the next few days again, I tried everything I could to make that happen, and it wasn't happening. And I went into um, Joseph Goldstein, uh, teacher, and I said, "I had it a couple of days ago, and I lost it. How do I get it back?" And then he told me a story. Uh, uh, maybe some of you have heard this before. He's written it in one of his in one of his books, he said, well, I'll just share with you a story about my practice. I said, oh yeah? I said, oh, he's going to tell me his secret experiences. And he said, yeah, at one point in practice, he'd been practicing in India for, he practiced in India for about seven years. 
And he said, at one point in my practice, it was so sweet. Every time I sat down, my mind was filled with light and my body was just a clear flow. And it was extraordinary. Oh, cool, he said. Then I went back to the States for... Uh, for a, a month or so, knowing I'd be returning to India and practice, and I, you know, I didn't practice all that much when I came back, and I know I was going to get back into uh, diligent practice later on, and um, and I didn't keep up my practice much. But when I got back to Bodhgaya, I remembered how things were, and I was really looking forward to it happening again. And then he said, I sat down and my mind was like mud and my body was like twisted steel. Those are the words he used. And then he looked at, he, he looked at me and he leaned forward and he said, I spent nearly two years trying to recapture that experience. And then he said, I was the dummy. I did it for you. You don't have to be the dummy. (laughs) I bowed to him. Thank you, Joseph, for sparing me (laughs) many mind moments of frustration. That was a great lesson to get on my first retreat. Uh, but still, even having gotten that on the first retreat, then as I shared the one that I, that I did a moment ago, I got hooked in thinking, oh, this is real practice now. Now I got it. And there have been other points along the way where I would get hooked in that subtle idea, this is really it. Wow. You know, I started doing Dzogchen practice. Wow, this is it. Or I do uh, concentration practice. Oh my goodness. Wow, this is it. It's amazing how the mind will latch on to something as being it. It's like you hear a new word. All, you, ever, you know that feeling? You hear a new word that sounds so cool and you wondered how you never heard it before and then all of a sudden you start hearing it everywhere. Has that happened to you? you know? And you just, you've got this new toy for a little while you know, or a new gimmick in your meditation. Oh, if I just do it this way, hmm, that works uh, for a little while. So first, uh, as we look at this refinement of mind and and the Buddha's suggestion to look at uh, concentration and equanim- and, um, and energy and, uh, and equanimity, just to first look at this as um, an understanding that maybe can um, unhook you of the ideas you might have around what real meditation is. For instance, you might just reflect for a moment, what's your idea of a perfect 
meditation. One that you could say, wow, I think I got it. Okay? And uh, there's no right answer, but where might you have some ideas and concepts? And uh, yeah, if you would, Andrew, let's just uh, take a few comments uh, if you're willing to uh, share your own true confessions. Um, what ideas might come in your mind? Yeah, that, That's very easy. Uh, it would feel very pleasant, very pleasant, and you would have, I would have uh, nothing but kind thoughts for all the people in my life, uh-huh. even the ones who normally I don't have such Thank kind you. thoughts uh-huh. for. Okay, very pleasant. And, and I've had those experiences, uh-huh. and then they're gone, uh-huh. and I think, what happened to that? Beautiful, thank you. Kind thoughts of all the people, even the ones that you have difficulty, and very pleasant. Uh, another one? Yes. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, Sinyun. Uh, yes. Real close to your mouth. Yes. One time I meditated, and then as I was meditating, an image of a Buddha flowing, floating towards me, and I couldn't help but just feel very, felt very happy and peaceful and smiled from really from my heart. And and um, that that was that. That was the one time that happened. <laughs> mm, a, blue, a Buddha floating toward you. That's what you're waiting for. When is he going to come again? Yeah. yeah. Um, and for me, it's more like um, um, being present. Like um, my face is like right here. Like I can't even explain it, but it's, it's 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 so present, so intimate, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be any good or bad. It's there's like really no name. It's just like so present. Mm-hmm. Okay, the immediacy of connection with experience. Yeah, the suchness. Sometimes they call it in Zen. Just such immediate contact and connection, presence. Anybody else? Linda. Thanks, Andrew. When I first started meditating many years ago, and I think many people do have a honeymoon period with meditation, mm-hmm. I, I would have two different types of sensations. One was that I would have my hands on my um, legs and I would begin to feel like my blood circulating in my hands and in my legs. And it, it was easy to focus on and it was pleasant. And then also, occasionally I've had the feeling that my breath is breathing me rather than that I am breathing um, the breath. And, you know, those are both very, very pleasant sensations and easy to um, want to grab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> easy to grab. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, ne- right next to you. Hi, me. Um, I, I think this was with Kate when she was teaching, but... She was talking um, about uh, the things above you and the things below and the side. And, and all of a sudden, in my meditation, I was floating off the chair. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, only for a few seconds. And then it was like, and I've, then I've, I've been trying to figure out, how did I do that? I no idea. <laughs> Get a little uh, air uh, repellent, like on, on a hockey, uh, you know, air hockey. Uh. Anyone else? Yeah, in the back. Thanks. 
Uh, hi. Um, many years ago, I was I sat down to meditate, and um, my experience, what I felt was like uh, when you're in the open ocean and there's no waves, no surge, no wind. Mm. It's just mm. complete calmness, mm. and the actual realization make me so got me so excited that I uh, opened my eyes. And to realize that, you know, what I thought it was 10 minutes, it was already 45 minutes. Mm, mm -hmm. And I said, that this is it. Mm -hmm. And I've been all these years, and it's been more than 20, trying mm -hmm. to figure that out. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm here still. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it keeps you coming, you know. Uh, yeah. And when you sit, are you somehow trying to to experience that he's nodding his head yes yeah mm -hmm. anyone else something that hasn't been mentioned yeah wendy uh, i think this is similar to what some other people have said but but uh, it to me it's like it's falling in love with the present moment mm. and it's sort of this uh combination of really resting and expanding in the present moment, and that's mm. it's this sense of falling in love with it all. Mm. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Doesn't happen that often. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great. Anything else? Here, one, right, one last one right up here. Hi. Uh, mine was, uh, so I was in a, in a monastic retreat, and uh, what happened was um, essentially like, all forms and like everything started breaking down and uh like i could see like my body rotting and like disappearing everybody everything until like it was going backwards right it was just amazing like suddenly like form is empty like it was so obvious mm -hmm. right and then it was just like all so clear and after that like maybe a few months after all my sits would just be like perfect like you know just mm -hmm. clear Mm. And then one day I woke up, and then it was I was just so muddy again, and like, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes I find myself sitting today, and it's like sometimes like, where is that? Like, why don't I have that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I totally get it. Uh huh. You saw form is empty, and then you kept on trying to grab at the at the emptiness, <laughs> the form of that emptiness. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, now, I, I don't want to imply that having experiences like that are, um, mm, are not valuable. They can be very valuable. Uh, they can give us some um, inspiration. They can open us up so that we see, oh, there is more to uh, uh, to the game than I saw. There is perhaps a, a whole other reality, spectrum of reality that I hadn't been aware of. You know, it's kind of like uh, seeing, um, seeing colors of the rainbow and then seeing under a, a, a different kind of light that there's many more colors and wavelengths that we we know about, or uh, hearing, uh, our hearing is limited. Just imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden uh, you could have a dog's hearing and just, whoosh, 
a whole, uh, or sniffing, or, you know, smelling, senses of smell. When we have profound experiences, there's something to uh, respect, be touched by. They can inspire and give us faith. And they can even open us up to a new way of seeing that stretches us in a new way. Uh, and often when people on retreat, they come on retreat at Spirit Rock and uh, come for an interview and uh, they might say, I was, you know, as an example, I was taking, uh, I was walking down to the dining room and I took a step and just in that step, I saw, kind of like what you were seeing, how there was nobody home that was taking that step. And it just blew my mind. You know? and, but that happened two days ago. And gee, I wish I could have it. And then I will often invite somebody to, just as they're talking, remember what that was like. And not go for the bells and whistles. Don't try to recreate anything. But I'm feeling a a transmission just as they're talking. So there's something that they're getting in touch with and remembering. And I have found it um, really helpful that if you've been touched in a profound way and your body knows that just even the recalling of it, as long as you're not looking for bells and whistles you can open up to that channel and remember that perspective. So I, I really want to honor all the amazing things that can happen when one meditates. So many, more than, you know, as many as there are minds and bodies, we can experience anything. But, as you were saying, or you were saying a couple of years ago, or however, how many years? Was it 20 years ago or something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. If you are grasping after it, or saying, that's really where it's at, you're going to be just causing more suffering. How could you not, since... The wanting mind is the second noble truth. But if you are inspired and are looking at this vastness of this experience and the possibilities that lie ahead, then it can be an exciting adventure. I don't think I mentioned this last week, but an exchange that, um, again, I had with Joseph. I've I've shared it here before where um, I came in on on one interview. I had been practicing for some time, and I said, uh, there was something else that was going on. And I said, I don't know what I've been doing before, up until now, but this is like I've just stepped into uh, Alice in Wonderland. And he said, oh, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I do a retreat. I said, really? And then he leaned forward 
And he, with a twinkle in his eye, said, yeah, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. I can still remember him say, it's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. Not, there's a whole lot more to go, but how exciting. There's always something new to discover. And any time you get caught in thinking, this is it, you're going to create some problems for yourself. Whether it's a perfect meditation or the right technique, the right teachings. There's so many teachings if you've been practicing for a while. Uh, the, the new ones that come into town for, uh, for a while. You know, when uh, uh, 30 years ago when, uh, when Upandita, great Burmese master, came into town and said, oh, you know, mental noting heroic effort, this is the way it is. Or uh, Utejaniya in recent times and just relaxing and noticing the attitude. Or then there's Pa Aksayadao who's a master of concentration. And people say, I want to learn this. And it's fabulous to study with different masters. Just be careful if you think the message is, this is the real practice. And in fact, uh, maybe some of you know a wonderful book that Jack Cornfield put together. It used to be called Living Buddhist Masters. Um, It's no longer called Living Buddhist Masters because uh, most of them aren't living anymore. Uh, But it's now called Living Dharma of 12 uh, Theravadan masters, Burmese and Thai masters, with each with their own uh, style of practice. And it's a brilliant book. I, we've gone, I went through a series of all the, the, the different styles of practice. There's um, Ajahn, um, let's see, uh, Ubakin, who developed the, the sweeping technique, that the Goenka retreats, and Goenka was a, a student of Ubakin, a uh, wonderful uh, practice, or Mahasi Sayadaw, who developed the mental noting practice, uh, and who switched from anapana, watching the breath up here, to feeling, seeing that, oh, sometimes it's easier for people to feel it in the belly, rising and falling. And when he switched, it was heretical to go from the nose to here. He got a lot of flack. And now, when you sit on a retreat with that style, this is the right way to do it. You know. Or, um, let's see, Ajahn Neb in that, uh, in that collection, the, the one female uh, master, the fiercest of all, Ajahn Neb, N-A-E-B, where she says, don't move unless there's a reason to move. Okay. Now you might think, oh gosh, does that mean sitting still for 10 hours? She's even talking about when you wake up in the morning, 
You can lie there as long as you want. However, how long can you lie there once you wake up in the morning? What happens? Mm, I think I need to get up. Nature is calling. And then you get up. Why? Because there's some discomfort. And then you... Uh, you go and take care of yourself. Okay, now I'm um, hungry. Okay, why? Because there's some discomfort. And she says, don't change what you're doing unless there's a reason to change. If you want to lie down, fine. Lie down on six inches of foam to your heart's content. See how long you can handle it. After a while, you're going to have some discomfort here and there, and you're going to, or you're going to be bored. And you go through your day, and you notice that it is suffering that gets you to move each time. It sounds at first like a great practice. Oh, I could just lie in, day, in bed all day. It gets very fierce. That's just one way. And then there's uh, Ajahn uh, Buddhadasa who says, uh, nothing to be, nothing to do, nothing to have. And then there's uh, Ajahn Chah. Just be natural in watching. Don't have to uh, make a big show and get super concentrated. When Ajahn Chah came to to Barry, uh, the center at IMS, Insight Meditation Society, and he saw people doing very, very slow lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing in the uh, Burmese uh, Mahasi style, and he hadn't seen people go that slowly, and he'd go up to people on the front lawn, the big front lawn in front of IMS, and he'd be saying something in Thai to them, you know, I don't speak any Thai. He'd say, say something to them, nod, and he'd say something to another yogi and nod. And they thought that he was saying, you know, far out, keep it up. And he was saying, uh, I hope you get better soon. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I once... Uh, met a, a, um, a great master, Ananda Maitreya, who died at, uh, I, think it was, uh, I think he died, uh, he had lived past 100. And I saw him in his 90s he, I, uh, when, when I went to Sri Lanka. And I had been hearing about the great Ananda Maitreya for some time, great, uh, uh, great revered master. And I finally got a chance to speak with him. Uh, and I said, oh, um, uh, um, Bhante, could you uh, tell me what your meditation practice is that you instruct people on? And uh, and he said, oh yes, I will. Do. He spoke English, um, and I said, yeah, I'm happy to. He said, um, I have people look at their thumb, and I said, yeah, and. And then what? He said, well, that is what they stay with for some time. 
they look very deeply at their thumb until they see anicca, dukkha, and anatta in their thumb. And see anicca, the impermanence, maybe feeling the pulsating, the dukkha and the selfless nature of reality as they're just focusing on their thumb. And I said, well, and then? He said, well, after a while, then they start to see that that's their whole body as well. They can be with their thumb for quite some time, but once they get it there, then they get it throughout the rest of their body. I said, okay, thank you very much. And that wasn't the practice for me, but it was a very profound practice for, uh, for his students. So, as I say this, just get in touch for a moment with what your idea of supposed to in meditation is. You know, besides the experience that you had 20 years ago or, uh, or a couple of uh, retreats ago, just uh, close your eyes for a moment and notice any kind of ideas that you have about good practice. When, if you experience it, you give yourself an A. What ideas do you have about good practice besides the, the extraordinary uh, cosmic experiences that might visit you from time to time? Is it very deep concentration? Is it no thoughts? Is it a heart that's full of love? What ideas might you have And what if you saw them as just one view out of many possibilities? What if you let go of trying to create any experience? And just more and more seeing that this moment was good enough. You might, as you practice these days, whether it's at home or on a retreat or coming here. Just see if there's any kind of filter, any kind of idea that you are 
adding, imposing on top of your meditation that colors it, that makes you grade yourself. Did it well? Didn't do it good enough? Just seeing through that, as the Buddha said, from time to time, concentration or focus might be helpful. From time to time, brightness, energy might be helpful. From time to time, spaciousness might be helpful. Many different ways. The real practice is how can I meet this moment in a wise way that lets it be how it is and that is present and interested in it? How much more accessible and how much more coming from a place of real wisdom where you don't have to control the moment to make it happen or to truly do the practice. Because it's all about balance. You know, there's the balance between concentration and energy, the the spaciousness that comes from equanimity, The seven factors of enlightenment are all about balance. There's the energizing factors, the stilling factors, the different qualities of the five faculties, concentration and and energy, faith and wisdom. It's all about balance. It's not any one way. So take a look at your ideas and just see what it would be like to let go and have the present moment be perfectly enough, more than enough. All you would need to do is show up in a kind and interested and balanced way. So, Maybe we can uh, we can have some time if there's any questions or comments, and um, Andrew can uh, take around the microphone. We'll be leaving soon, and uh, and then if you could uh, be here for the meta, that would be great. I had a pleasant um, meditation this week, and my reaction was. That was a gift. And I have to say, I like that reaction um, because um, some of the tendency to grasp um, was replaced by gratitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what, what a, a good switch from grasping to gratitude. Yeah. It's all a gift. Any other, all the way in the back? I wonder if you could relate um, the idea of maybe turning the idea of grasping into the idea of a handshake and then letting go. Whereas like you, 
acknowledge that moment and then you're at peace to move on to the next moment. Um, yeah. Okay, so if you see the grasping uh-huh. instead of it leading to more suffering, that there's a way to relate to the grasping. Is that what you're, right, you're right. saying? Yeah. The, 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 thank you for bringing that up. The beauty of the practice is it's never too late to open up to your experience with a wise kind awareness. And so if you do notice, oh, there's grasping, and you notice it without a judgment, because one way you can notice, oh, there's grasping again. Gosh, I got caught. Darn it. You just got caught again. <laughs> that, that's called the second arrow on top of the first. But if instead, when you see the grasping, and you see, oh, and there's grasping, that is a moment of freedom. Because when you're seeing the grasping, clearly you're not feeding it. You don't have to feed the grasping. In seeing the grasping, actually what you're doing is seeing in a very direct, um, experiential way, the second noble truth. Oh, this is what the Buddha is talking about. The cause of suffering is wanting. And in the seeing of it, in the not feeding it, you are giving yourself another option. And that is, you don't have to continue to be under the sway of that grasping. You can withdraw that extra energy or just not feed it. Ah, how good it feels. So this this comes down to delighting, appreciating in the fact that you're seeing the grasping. Then it's a win, because ju- that's a moment of mindfulness. In fact, it's, it's in the third, uh, it's the third foundation of mindfulness, and it's also the fourth, in the fourth foundation of the mindfulness, where the, uh, where the Buddha says, um, notice the restless mind, notice the grasping mind, Just like notice the breath or notice a sound. You're just noticing that tendency of mind. And in the fourth foundation, oh, notice how this is suffering and notice how letting go is peace. So that is just as good, in fact, in some ways, even more liberating than just being with the breath. It's, oh, I see how this operates, how suffering gets created and how it can be seen through. So celebrate it each time. All the way, uh, yeah, oh, up here. Um, As I'm getting older, so sometimes I have always forget things and then um, some memory I w- really wanted to hold on to. And then one day I just realized if something profound happens to me, 
it must have touched my soul in some way. It shaped. It has already shaped my soul. Mm. Why am I trying to hold on to that memory? That's mm. it's already in me, part mm. of me. So, mm. um, so it, from then on, that I actually could remember more things <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of like, like, oh my god, why did I forget that? How did oh my memory, poor thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so um, that's one of the things that I do. I just acknowledge uh, what happened. Yes. Mm-hmm. And be it, let it be part of myself. Mm, beautiful. That's that's lovely. Yeah, and uh, I I know that feeling very well. Where you know, what was I thinking about five minutes ago? And actually, the more you try to think about it, the mind gets contracted, and it's not going to be there. Uh, and there's a real art to just saying, "Oh well, now there's this moment," you know, and. I also carry around a pad with me, so if it's really something I want to remember, that, that helps too. But yeah, last comment, and then we'll go. Yeah, um, I'm. <clears throat> I'm very interested in kind of You're a close. subtle element Good of close. your of your uh, talk, uh-huh. and it's the, those uh, qualities of aware, of awareness that you. I think you used uh, friendliness and interest to apply awareness of these qualities. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to expand on that. Um, sure. Uh, qualities of awareness and, and, and friendliness. Uh, for me, uh, inherent in mindfulness, uh, there are, uh, there's a quality of kindness. It's a, it's a, a meeting the moment. You're not contracted either trying to, in some way, um, protect yourself from unpleasant and you're not trying to hold on to anything. So it's just meeting a friend and being very kind with the mind that wanders away. So there's a quality of friendliness or kindness. Uh, there's a quality of interest. Uh, just like, a, like we're coming, we've come into this world with a curiosity because interest is the thing that keeps us connected to it. Just being, you know, like uh, Jesus saying, uh, unless you become like children, you won't know the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and having that, that interest, that, that curiosity that connects you with what's happening now. And the third quality for me is uh, a relaxation, an ease. So for me, the basic practice, I often say it in my, my instructions, is uh, know what's happening now, let it be how it is, and open to it with a relaxed, interested, kind awareness. Let those qualities of openness support your mindfulness practice. Because any kind of contraction and you're working against yourself. So they're all fostering that, that quality of openness. Okay, so um, let's have a closing. And uh, just as you, as we're closing, want to anchor or remind you to notice and let go of any idea of what 
good practice is supposed to be. And uh, maybe this week in your daily practice, you can just kind of play around with that. And when you sit, just... uh, What I say to myself is, oh, I wonder what this one's going to be like. And however it is, it's a gift, as as was was said here. So with that in mind, just... uh, Send some kind thoughts to yourself. Appreciate that you love the Dharma enough that you want to come on a Thursday night and sit with others and share. May I have ease and peace in my heart. May I see through any ideas I have about good practice. May I share my love well. And then to extend that out to everyone here and all beings everywhere, may all know the highest happiness and peace May all see through their confusion. May all share their love well. And may our coming here together be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Have a good week. A good couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.